Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, everybody. You join us at the end of Monday's day of play in Madrid, and it's just before midnight our time. Catherine has been presenting uh, live television all day uh, of what's been going on in the tennis. It's been a storm outside, and I've never seen rain quite like it. And uh, it still wasn't enough to abandon the match between West Bromwich Albion and Wolves, which I was hoping for, so we might get to play it again and maybe win next time. Um, and uh, and it was a completely wasted hour and a half of my life because I didn't get to see Ash Barty against Digis Fiontech. So, Catherine, Matt, you're going to have to tell me about all everything that went on. Um, we'll, we'll we'll also get to talk about lovely Molly, our mascot for the week, a ten year old uh, yellow Labrador owned by Louise. But Catherine, did I make the wrong decision to watch football rather than Ash Barty against Digis Fiontech? Yeah, and I resent the fact that we're now going to have to make up for your terrible decision-making for you. Um, yeah. Maybe there are some other listeners who did the same, so you can help them along as well. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you're asking me? Catherine, tell us about Shviontek versus Barty. Yes, let's start there. Or tell tell me tell you about how bad West Brom Wolves was. It was appalling. And the weather I didn't was even worse. watch it, and I could probably tell yeah, you how it bad it was. Terrible. I feel like when you're counting on the weather to save your football team, that is that is representative of the season you're having, really, isn't it, David? And my team are having as well. David, I was accused of dressing in uh, Aston Villa claret today. Yeah, I contested. You, I contested aggressively. You weren't. I mean, you were wearing bright pink, weren't you? Yeah, it, it was a raspberry, I would say. But our our floor manager. Our floor manager, Tim, uh, is a Villa supporter and he optimistically declared that I had dressed in uh, Aston Villa claret. I get the impression that if you support rubbish Midlands teams, then you have to grasp at straws, <laughs> David. Moving on, uh, let's get back to uh, Ash Barty against Igor Fiontech, shall we? Mm. What, what happened? Well, Ash Barty... One, she was three love down in the opening set and Iga Svantec was by far the more aggressive player. I mean, her I, I know she's she's best known for her forehand, but her backhand was the stuff of dreams. Um, and it was, 
it never felt like a one-sided contest. You always felt like Barty was going to make it a contest, but she kind of took over the contest, actually. It, it, she she fought back to five all, Sviantek serving, and uh, it, it was a pretty horrible game at that point from Sviantek. Three double faults. They had plagued her a bit throughout the first set. I know uh, Greg Rzedzki thinks she does have significant issues with, uh, in particular, her second serve and could probably do with getting a bit of extra juice on her on her first serve. And yeah, she handed uh, Ashbarty a bit of a, an armour chink there, but Ashbarty didn't need asking twice. She just said, oh, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show everyone why I'm the world number one now. And in particular, the world number one on clay. I do think that was a performance that that separates her a bit from from the rest on this surface just at the moment in my mind certainly anyway Matt what did you think yeah I felt similarly I had I had real Australian Open vibes actually do you remember we kept having all those matches in the women's draw early on in that tournament which felt like they sort of should be the final or that they could be the final and that's how I felt going into this match and as it started obviously a clash between the two most recent French Open champions and it did like it did feel like they were competing for some sort of territory beyond just the winner of this match um and yeah I think I'm fascinated to watch Fiontech at the moment especially on clay because I think in in one respect there's a possibility that last year's Roland Garros has presented a a slightly distorted image in my mind, of what she's like on clay. Obviously, she's very capable of playing at that level. She's shown us. But unfairly, perhaps, I expect her to play like that all the time. And that's probably not realistic. Those were two perfect weeks of tennis she played, crushing some of the best players in the world, not even losing more than four games in a set. It's it's not realistic that she would play like that all the time. And yet the possibility that she might makes her so fascinating. And that's why I was really excited for this match and thought she had a really good chance. And just as Catherine said, she started brilliantly. She was well on top, you know, showing us that she's capable of that greatness. Um, but is there, is there a better player at mid-match adjustments than Ash Barty? I'm, I'm not sure there is. We saw that in Stuttgart last week, the way she won those last three matches from a set down. She's able to make adjustments and figure opponents out. And I think she really relished the challenge of playing Sviantek. She seemed to enjoy her game. Um, and she kind of showed that she's got weapons of her own, Barty. That that slice is such a problem for players. And Sviantek said she'd practiced with Barty in, in Melbourne earlier this year and noted that slice. And I think that was a problem for her again today. And Barty it just allows her to get on top with her forehand and she can really dictate with that shot. And her serve is, is as Catherine said, so much so much better than Sviantek's at the moment. It's, it felt like a real difference maker. So in in the same way, Barty perhaps made a little statement in Miami. Do you remember where people were sort of questioning her number one status? I think she made a little statement today as well, just sort of cementing her position as the best player on clay at the moment. We had an interesting discussion uh, in the studio uh, on Prime with Daniela and Greg. I mean, I, I was a, a bystander. Um, but uh, ab- about those mid-match adjustments that Ash Barty uh, 
makes. And in fact, it was prior to the match because we had an interview with her where she she talked about her biggest strength being her, her ability to adapt and manipulate her game according to who's down the other end of the court. And it feels like such a, a default rhetoric to me from tennis players when they're asked about how they're going to approach a match to say, well, I'm just going to play my game. I'm going to play my game and I'm going to believe in it and hope that it's hope that it's good enough and I believe that it will be good enough if I can hit my A game. And I sort of asked them, what's the most desirable thing? Is that a, is that a sign of confidence if you just say, I'm going to play my game and that's going to be good enough? Or is it a sign of confidence to say, no, I, I believe I can play lots of different games and win lots of different ways, depending on what you do? And they, they said only the best players with multiple you know, plans A, B and C can afford to say, I will adapt my game to what you'd, you're doing. She's, they, they said there are plenty of really good players out there, but that have to take the approach of I'm going to play my way because they can't do it any other way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, f- I feel like that's such an insight into Ash Barty that she recognizes that that's such a strength of her game. And she sometimes, she sometimes can seem a bit um, unknowable in interviews, I think. There's definitely a defensiveness about her. She she doesn't want to show vulnerability and let you in. It's a massive contrast to Osaka, say, or, you know, a lot of the other crop of, of young, talented players that we've got at the moment. But in in little comments like that, you do you do know her a bit. You do just get a little a little glimpse into her and her game. And I found that really interesting. In the halftime of the appalling football that I was watching, I did take time out to actually watch just just a little bit of this match. And I, I mean, I actually want to go back and watch the whole thing. Um, two things struck me. One is that Igor Sviantek suddenly seemed to get anxious during the match. You could see that, I mean, and fr- from what I'd heard, she had absolutely thrown the kitchen sink at Barty in those first three games. And is playing that level that Matt describes, that kind of level we saw at the French Open last year. And then she suddenly threw in three double faults in the in the single game that I was watching, and that's what ended up losing her that opening set. And it, I did feel at that point she looks like she has suddenly woke up from that French Open last year dream of just everything seems kind of easy on autopilot. And she's a very young woman of of such formative years, really, in terms of experience of this this these types of scenarios. And and because I think she is a deep thinker and somebody, very, I find her very interesting. I love listening to her talk. That I think maybe it might not all just every week come easily to her. And it doesn't necessarily come easily to anybody, does it? But I think that there probably might be more diversions along the way as a result of that. Um, I think we saw it with with, with, with Osaka. I think we've seen seen it with Barty. These are these are not just winning machines, any of these players. They may they're they're brilliant players, but it's not all that there is to them. Um the the other thing that struck me at the end of the match, because I did watch the on-court interview, I remember you were queuing the interview, Catherine, to Barty. And one thing that I've noticed recently, how 
happy she looks on court at the end of matches in those interviews. She looks very content. She looks like she's enjoying it. And the way she spoke about Sviantek is a little bit how she'd spoken in the past about Mukova. And that's where I think the on-court adjustment in her tactics and strategy come in because I think she gets an almighty buzz out of playing these different types of players and figuring them out and seeing what her game can what can be utilized within her game to to sort out the situation she's in and I think I think that's that's probably how she's handling this really unusually long trip that she's got before her is to just enjoy the tennis enjoy the challenges enjoy the the opponents um and yeah bodes well for her I did note that Pam Shriver said the other day that she just hopes she can pace herself well enough uh, Pam said on Twitter she saw her with some strapping on her shoulder and she was just like you know there's a lot of tennis to be played yet and the big ones are still to come and you've got to be really careful not to overdo it especially when you're winning all the time especially as she's <clears throat> I think one of only a handful of players in the men's and the women's that is a very genuine contender at both the French Open and Wimbledon. Yeah. Uh, and and the, the decreased time between makes that schedule management factor even more fascinating and even more important. Um, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I noted Rafael Nadal said the other day that he doesn't think the postponement of the French Open by a week makes any difference to people's preparation for Roland Garros what it does is impacts people's preparation for Wimbledon, especially those like himself, like Ash Barty, who are hoping and expecting to go deep at Roland Garros. What do they then do about playing a grass court lead-up event or not? That's a, that's a decision they don't normally have to make. And this season they will have to make one. So, yeah, it will be very, very interesting. That having been said, Nadal hasn't played one in recent years to, well, my, true. Yeah. to my recollection. I mean, he's pulled mm. out a couple of But he also of hasn't won Wimbledon. No, true. Mm. Um, yes. On the subject of players, and you, you you were talking, Matt, about Sviantek, about a player who looked, when she was on it last year, basically unbeatable, but then you can put that down to two perfect weeks, and is that the norm? Can the same be said about Naomi Osaka in terms of we got to a point where when she won the Australian Open – and, she, and when she wrestled those matches away from Muguruza and um, and players like that, that she has that gear that sometimes it feels like nobody else has that, the same gear that she has. Are we seeing the limitations to her? Because actually we've only ever seen her reach those gears on hard courts. And, and against Karolina Mukova the other day, I mean – it was it was like looking at a different player. She didn't look anywhere near the same. Well, I, th- I think it's the most interesting narrative in tennis right now. You've, you've got Naomi Osaka, this dominant force at the hard court majors, this superstar, really, sort of transcending the sport in many ways. It was, it was announced today she's going to be co-chairing the Met Gala this year. With... with- with the coolest group of people with, that's, with a great group that's, that's ever walked the earth. <laughs> who, who? Can you imagine being in that gang? <laughs> Just the best gang. It's Billie Eilish, Amanda Gorman and Timothy Chalamet. Oh, even I know some of these. <laughs> it's all the good people. Yes. 
well, yeah, I mean, there's lots to say on that, but <laughs> let's get back to Clay. Um, just seeing Asaka adapt to this different environment where she isn't that person. She isn't that transcendent force that we've kind of become used to seeing her as in the last few months is so, so interesting to me. Um, the result against Mukova was not a surprise. To us or to her. No, exactly. I think a very similar thing is happening to what happened a couple of years ago. She went into the clay court season in 2019 off the back of exactly the same. She'd won the US Open and the Australian Open. And suddenly everyone's expectations were really high for her in 2019 on clay, including her own. She was talking about trying to win the calendar slam. That's a difference this season. She is not putting the same level of expectation on herself. And therefore, I really think we need to recognize that she needs time on this surface because there are a lot of aspects to her game which I think can work on clay. She's got an incredible kick serve. And if she can get that working, that can be a weapon on the clay. As we saw against Mukova in the second set, when she has one of her surges, it's still good enough to penetrate the court and sort of take over. But I think there are also some technical aspects where she's less comfortable. The sliding, for example, doesn't look like she has that cover on the ball that we talk about that you need on clay. She doesn't have that spin, so she can't quite create the angles as well. So there's there's some technical things which I think she probably needs time on. But more than anything, when I think of what Osaka did at the US Open, what she did at the Australian Open, to me it comes down to belief. And she can count on herself to deliver her best tennis when she needs it because she's completely comfortable on a hard court. And I think it's going to take time for her to get comfortable on clay. Um, I was I was trying to think of some sort of analogy and apologies for using a really self-centered one, but it was kind of all I had. It's still tennis, right? It's still tennis on a clay court. In the same way that, for example, and I'm not going to do this, if I was to go to some sort of rival podcast, it would still be a me podcasting. What's this? But I wouldn't be able to be myself because you need the chemistry with the people you're podcasting with. And that's sort of feeling comfortable is so important to be able to do your job properly, I think. Are we clay in this scenario? <laughs> no, no, no. You're hardcore if I'm yeah. a soccer, I we, hope. Oh, okay. Think. We're comfy hardcore, Catherine. Yeah. Right. A, a sort of plexiclusion, <laughs> if you will. One of you is the US Open and one of you is the Australian Open. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> and, and that's a soccer. And I'm a soccer. This has worked out great. Um, <laughs> but I think you need that you need that chemistry with the surface. And, have, she, and she hasn't have, got have that with clay. podcast been in touch? <laughs> Honestly, no. <laughs> oh. They will be now. <laughs> They'll be offering all sorts. Am I making any sense? Yes, you are. And you were also making sense in your in your wonderful notes today, Matt, where it, this is actually about Ash Barty, but it struck me, you, you, um, you mentioned that some quotes from Ash Barty about how a defeat that she suffered on clay to Simona Halep two years ago was a light bulb moment for her that it, it, it was a, it was a hard fought two set victory for Halep over Ash Barty and Ash Barty describes that as a game changer for her attitude towards clay and her belief in her own abilities on clay and that I found that 
really interesting, especially in I read those quotes after Naomi Osaka had lost and reading Naomi Osaka's quotes after yesterday saying, I wasn't surprised by this. I know exactly what I've got to do. You know, I she she said about Mukhavar, I hope I can one day learn to slide like her, you know, and I feel like she needs, she, I mean, look, yes, there are very real technical, practical things she needs to improve, but hand in hand with that is believing that, that she really can make her game work on clay and maybe it won't be one big light bulb moment for her, but I do think there will, I think there will feel like there's a turning point at some point. I, I feel like there's going to be a, huh, she's kind of cracked it now. I don't know. I don't know when it will be, but um, I, I'm so here for the journey. I love, I love that, you know, at the start of the year, it looked like she was just going to pull away and be completely dominant. And look, I, I love dominant Osaka. I love Osaka. But I love that it's just not as simple as that as well. And there are so many other twists in the mm. tale. And uh, yeah, the story is going to be long and winding with these, with this crop of of uh, of talent. And oh, it's just delicious. I, I'm here for all of that as well. But doesn't Asaka need to put a bit more in than she's putting in if she's going to have this light bulb moment on clay? I mean, she has turned up at madrid and lost in her second second match i think mm. she's got rome coming up and then it's into the, the french open we've all we, we've had two tournaments on clay she could have played one of them yeah i remember she spoke in australia about how she likes to schedule she, she actually spoke about getting quite homesick on the tour and she likes to go for one or two tournaments leading up to a major and that's kind of it that has been her blueprint for a while now so i i really agree with you david i think if she does want to conquer clay she's probably going to have to sort of change her whole approach to tennis and then it comes down to is it worth it for a specific surface when she knows she can already win the majors at the hard courts. So I, I think she'll think it's worth it. I think she really will, but I just think I wonder when she's going mm. to think it's worth it. Is it necessary? That's the other question mark. Is she good enough to just kind of um eventually gather enough experience on I, these few that she is playing? I don't think so because of her peers. Mm. That's a problem. I, I, yeah, I mean, you know, Barty it, Barty's the same age as her, I think a year older. Shrontek's younger. You know, there are others coming through. I th the bar is going to be high, I think, for winning for winning Roland Garros. It'll be interesting. I, I mean, I think she's incredibly ambitious. I I can't imagine her. Maybe she'll need maybe she'll need a kind of jarring wake up moment to realize she needs to she can't use the same approach to scheduling on clay as she does to other surfaces but it's, it's going to be interesting how she fares on grass as well I mean I feel like we're already writing off her clay court season uh, after one defeat but you know if she if she also has a really bad time on grass that would I think perhaps accelerate the realization that hard court is a completely different kettle of fish and requires a completely different approach to to the other surfaces but I love what a light it shines on one of the best things about tennis 
mm. which is the change of surfaces yeah. and, ex- and, and how different they are and, and the different challenges that they, they pose. And I think we've perhaps become a little bit used to certainly the big three being completely comfortable on all of the surfaces, pretty much the same with Sereno as well, that perhaps certainly in my tennis watching time, there's been a little bit of a narrative that the surfaces are too similar and you don't need to make adjustments between one or the other anymore. Well, I think what's happening to Naomi Osaka is a perfect example that those those systems that tennis has in place to ensure there's variety are still in place and they they still serve that purpose today in the modern game yeah um Mm. it's difficult to compare players because players have different approaches but the the sort of precedent for this i suppose is maria sharapova someone who thrived on grass and hard court and then eventually ended up winning more french opens than she did any other slam so it can certainly be done. I'm just thinking about Sharapova. Did she do it after she, I suppose, conquered everything else? Made it a goal? I think so. But then also just thinking mm. about what Catherine said, I really don't want to diminish her achievements on clay at all. She she became a great clay court player. But I'm just thinking she beat Sara Rani in one of her French Open finals and she beat a very, very young Simona Halep. It's possible, as Catherine says, that Osaka won't, you know, that Osaka will have a, higher level of competition if she wants to break through at the French Open. Um, But obviously it was incredibly, incredibly impressive what Sharapova did to transform herself on that surface. And it would be fascinating if Osaka can can do similarly. God, it's good, isn't it? Mm. The the act act one of this era is, yeah, it's great. Uh, I I just recall going back a bit further to watching Pete Sampras try to conquer mm-hmm. clay. And and the best he ever did at the French was semi-finals in 96. And actually, I would say, I, I don't know enough about the technicalities to be 100% on this, but I would say he he got to the semi-finals playing his own game. And, he, and in that year, he beat Courier twice a champion. He beat Bruguera twice a champion. Eventually ran out of gas. Um, but I mean... People used to say about him, kind of what I've just said, that when is he going to properly commit himself to to play the other lead-up events? And and one year I recall that he 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 did, and uh, and he he played um, he played Barcelona. I'm just looking at my notes here, and he played Barcelona and Monte Carlo and Hamburg and Rome. He played them all in '95, and yet the year before. He'd won the Australian Open. He'd won the Sunshine Double. Then he won Rome, and he came into the French and, and lost in the quarterfinals. But it didn't work out for him to 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 play all these events. I mean, I think for him, you know, you talk about Osaka's the schedule making sense to her in her own mind, in her own life, and for for Sampras, I just don't think it worked as a calendar. It, it, it's he, he never really got to grips with it. There are it, that's interesting. There are potential similarities between Naomi Osaka and and Pete Sampras that I'm not sure that's ever been said before. Um, but in terms, of, you know, Tennis Pete Sampras players. never never embraced life on the road, is he? It was all about you know loving tennis and doing the job, but also being able to get back home where he could really enjoy life. Um, and I think there's something of 
of Osaka in there. I mean, there the the similarity probably ends, but I, I, that is an interesting an interesting comparison because you know my brief experience of Pete Sampras on the Champions Story is he's a total homebody. You know, really, you know, loves tennis and and was up for playing tennis, but in between, he'd kind of rather be at home and. Um, I don't know, maybe Naomi Osaka is a bit more embracing of, you know, the travel and all the rest of it, but she is a homebody, I think. And yeah, I mean, yeah, can she, can she achieve what she achieves while making, you know, different sacrifices to, to what she's been used to making? I don't know. It's, but yeah, it's, Mm -hmm. it's all set up deliciously. Yeah, sure is. Well, uh, in Madrid, it's pretty set up deliciously as well because we've got Ash Barty against Petra Kvitova in the quarterfinals. Yeah, the quarterfinals. Quarterfinals. It's all very confusing, David. I know I banged on about this in the last pod, but it's very confusing. Yes, because we've only just started What the stage tournament. they're all at. Oh. <laughs> um, we're going, go on. I feel like I want to give more credit to Mukova as well. I mean, mm. I thought she was exceptional against Osaka and... She's someone who started the season brilliantly, reaching the Australian Open semi-finals, and then had her her season curtailed with that ab injury that she picked up in Australia. This was only her second tournament since then, but I think she is really set for a big season if she can stay fit. The creative, expansive tennis that she plays seems to work on all surfaces, and she's someone who really seems to rise to an occasion. And this is someone who's just making their debut in the top 20. Big matches, she shows up, she causes players problems. And she's also had some runs at slams, as I've said. So I really, really think her prospects are very, very bright at the moment. I predicted very big things for Karolina Mukova. I just did it a bit bit too early. I just jumped, <laughs> just jumped the gun a bit. Catherine, just, you, you can still claim credit for that. I've been doing that for years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, I think a pandemic got in the way. Oh, yeah. Yes, I agree. Quote, a pandemic got in the way. <laughs> <laughs> title, title for endless podcasts. We've got a Paola Bedosa who, the scenes on her victory oh. against Anastasia oh. Sevastova because she came from a set down, won the second set on a tiebreak and won the third at a canter, but just in tears, just on, it was wonderful watching Paola Bedosa because obviously I think she's the, the sole remaining Spanish player, isn't she, in the draw, mm. in the women's uh, draw. And it was lovely, really. Yeah, and I don't know, she really feels that pressure, it sounds like, that she wants to deliver for the for the people coming to watch her in Spain. Um, yeah, it was a really beautiful moment, actually, the way she just was overcome by that emotion. And I'm very pleased for her. She was the player who spent 21 days in in quarantine in Australia, had, a, had that horrible start to the season. And she, she's another one who is, who's having some really good results this season. I think she's at a career high ranking. She's really on the rise. She beat Barty, didn't she, on the green clay of Charleston. And mm. yeah, it was a, a lovely moment. Bedosa is way better, way better than I thought she is, I must say. Um, and it, it's Bedosa against uh, Belinda Bencic in the quarters, winner to face either Barty or Kvitova, mm. and then a really packed bottom half of the draw as well, um, with Sabalenka playing exceptionally well. She's playing Pagula. Uh, we've got Mertens Halep, Pavlichenko Brady, who's who's won against two Grand Slam champions in Venus Williams and Yelena Ostapenko for the loss of a handful of games. And then Sakari against Mugova. First time, David, 
Jennifer Brady has ever won back-to-back matches on clay. Is that right? Goodness. And yeah, she... yeah, at all level, which is extraordinary because her game, you know, sort of paint by numbers style, that is a, it, it adds up mm. on clay. And I okay. know there's kind of, there's a before Jennifer Brady and there's an after Jennifer Brady. So I know stats with her, they hold less less weight than uh, than with some other players. But uh, yeah, I found that very interesting. Nobody knows some, more about you know, the before and after than me. So, <laughs> Except that <laughs> you picked her to reach a uh, French Open final when she'd never won back-to-back matches on clay. That was that was when 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 <laughs> Max, the prime stats guy, keyed through with with that stat as I was delivering the Brady defeats Ostapenko result on A yesterday. My the first thought that ran through <laughs> my head was David picked. David picked her to reach the final when she'd never won back-to-back matches on clay. I didn't know that stat then. <laughs> neither did i know how hard she'd been training when i called her a middling american on a good run anyway Mm. uh, she's neither you have all the wrong brady facts at all the wrong times yes well i'll I'll even it out (laughs) at some point it'll balance itself out if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery think again juvederm volux xc is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime even better this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment no maintenance required improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with juvederm volux xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. 
What's happening with the blokes? Um, I know Carlos Alcaraz has set up a, a, a second round meeting with Rafael Nadal, which is uh, which is all right on his eighteenth birthday. Oh, fantastic! On Wednesday, apparently everybody's everybody apparently Rafael Nadal plays his first match in Madrid on Wednesday, and that's just a thing. There's no like, oh, what day will that match be scheduled? It's just going to be on Wednesday. It's just basically a full <laughs> week into the tournament having started. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, Alcaraz against uh, Nadal. We had a bit of a debate about Alcaraz on air today on Prime. Oh yeah. Daniela and Greg think that everyone's getting a bit giddy over Carlos Alcaraz. Greg sort of caveated it with, I've never seen him play in the flesh and he wanted to see him play in the flesh. But um, yeah, I mean, the the headline grab your attention stat is that he's the youngest player ever to win a match in in Madrid Alcaraz younger by four months than Rafael Nadal um, but of course as you pointed out David when Rafael Nadal was seventeen and uh, well, oh no eighteen and winning matches in Madrid he uh, he was doing so on uh, on indoor carpet and not on clay so a slightly misleading stat we love them it, yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> apparently that's my trademark um we also like getting carried yeah. away <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> yeah um I, I mean i still think he uh, uh, i'm i'm still happy to get carried away i think he's really really good oh totally yeah i mean <laughs> let, let's get carried away <laughs> i'm so carried away with alcaraz <laughs> It's going to be very interesting, isn't it, to just see how this this kind of other generation of look, player plays against the ultimate. Look, he's not going to win, well, right? But I'm clip that one, Matt. I'm interested in how he do. No, he's not going to beat Nadal. No, I'm not but getting I'm that re- carried away. I'm really interested in how he deals with that occasion because I feel like uh, I feel like the whole. This is a dream come true for me. I've always wanted to play him. Uh, you know, remember when Shapovalov played Federer for the first time in Miami? I know I always cite that and I always feel guilty every time I cite it. But you just knew he was going to lose He's when he said... Sebi Corder uh, with his animal named oh. after Nadal. <laughs> yeah, yes. you just think, oh, goodness me. Well, you know, that's game over. I have high hopes that Alcaraz, while this is a dream come true for him, I have high hopes that he is the sort of character that won't let that daunt him on the court. I I still don't think that that, that will be enough to to give him the win, but I I'm I'm interested in in how he handles the occasion. Very interested. Indeed. Is that a good birthday present? I think it is, isn't it? I suppose yeah. it probably is. Yeah, maybe he'll reassess after. As long as he wins a game, you tell us, Matt. You're you've most recently celebrated a birthday. I have. (laughs) I'm seven years older than Alcaraz. (laughs) Don't talk. I mean, I'm twenty years older than the bloke. (laughs) No, (laughs) thirty. Was that realisation, was that the most depressing moment of your life? That, that was some pretty snappy arithmetic I had to do in my head then, and it really didn't make me feel great. I'm going to have some more beer. <laughs> uh, 
I tell you, I, I he's very he's he's very he's scandalously young. I, fe- I felt my I felt kinship with Fernando Vadasco whilst watching him on the court today. I could really feel his pain as a man of. I mean, he's ten years my junior, but he looked an old man on that court tonight, and. He looked an old man walking out onto that yeah. court tonight. And when when I saw him just looking so stiff and as though his legs just weren't really doing what he was asking them to, mm. and I thought, oh, it's a young man's sport. This, I mean, I know, I know, Federer <laughs> makes it look different, and Venus Williams the way well, they move. But, 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 but didn't it put in? But didn't it? Didn't it put that into context? Yeah. What they're doing. I mean, it was a slightly depressing experience watching Vidasco tonight, but it, I did find myself thinking a lot about Serena, Venus, Federer, and and exactly how incredible it is that they're doing, they're doing what they're doing, and yeah, I mean, in Vidasco's defence, as much as when you're young, wearing a backwards baseball cap emphasises how young you are, I. Th- think when you're a little bit older wearing a backwards baseball cap has the uh inverse reverse effect yes yes i, mm. I think i think you might be right um should say uh that a winner today as well was dan evans and and it was mm. a bit stressful for him because he was he was getting the job done just nicely against uh, Jeremy Shardy and then he had about four set points in the second set and didn't win any of them and he went to a third. I don't, I always kind of thought he was going to win though. Interesting. It, it reminded me a lot of his opening match in Monte Carlo against Dusan Lajovic, uh, where he also had uh, opportunities to win the second set. And probably should have won the second set. Wasn't there a, a smash that went awry? Mm. Um, and at, at that moment, I I really feared for him after losing the set that he should have won. I, I yeah, I feared for him and was very impressed when he came through to win, especially against um, Lajovic, who was a former finalist in Monte Carlo. And had it not been for that match, I would have feared for him today against Shardy, having squandered opportunities to win the second set, but. Yeah, I've it, it made me realise how much I've revised my sort of feelings about Dan Evans on clay and generally in my mind because I still maintained my confidence in him throughout. And um, I, he he is a maker of matches, Dan Evans. He's when was the last like? Okay, I suppose the thumping by sits a pass, but. A Dan Evans match is rarely not entertaining. And I realise we're slightly biased about Dan Evans. We feel like we kind of understand him and get a bit of an insight to him because, you know, we get the sort of brumminess by osmosis through David. But, um, <laughs> and David gets texts. <laughs> yes, the, the texts very much help. Um, but, yeah, he he makes tennis better. He makes tennis more interesting. And, um, yeah, Greg Rodetsky said on air on the actual telly today he thinks he can be top 10. Wow. I was, uh, that's... He also mispronounced Brummy repeatedly, <laughs> David. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> so I can, swings and roundabouts for the Midlands. I can give lessons. Um, the, actually, that's the first time I've heard anybody say that Dan Evans can be top 10. Because I remember you putting that to Tim Henman 
at uh, during the US Open, I think. I think uh, you said, can he be top 20? And Tim said, yeah. You said top 10. And he just go, he just went, that might be pushing it. Something like that. So, um, well, be very interesting to find out, won't it? I, look, I, I don't know if that's true. He's got to start um, getting runs going at slams but a, in order mm. if he's going to do that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. He's 17 I mean, in the just, race. Hmm. I, Matt on top of the race. If I, had, if I had, if I, yeah, you're like <laughs> Thank Nadal. You. Um, I, if I had to put my chips down, I'd say he'll very nearly get there, like sort of twelve, um, but not quite. But um, yeah, it's, it, it, Greg's an interesting one to to talk about Dan Evans because Greg loves a maximizer. That's kind of his favourite word in tennis, and and I, I remember Tim. Quite within the last couple of years or so, talking about Greg, like quite touchingly, fondly actually, and saying Greg was the most incredible competitor. Greg just was like a dog with a bone. And David, this is how you've talked about Greg before. And it was, I think I was a bit too young to really sort of appreciate that, the, the, the sort of, yeah, the intricacies of of the game at that time. But I think... I think Greg gets it and I think he really appreciates what Dan Evans is doing and and appreciates how far that doggedness and competitiveness can get you. Um so I don't know. I I don't know whether the game will ultimately have a ceiling a little mm. bit lower the, than the, that. But um in regardless of what number he ends up on, the fact that it's him that we're talking about being a maximizer is extraordinary mm. given his history and his downs and his cock-ups and, you know, his unfulfilling of potential for many, many years. And yet he's discovered just in time and, uh, and is, is fulfilling his potential, I believe, which is a great, a great credit to him in terms of figuring it out. I described his calves as Karatsev-like today. <laughs> Blimey. I mean, that's pushing it, mm. but. It's Catherine Whitaker, and she was watching it, and that's that's her for you. Yeah. Um, so anyway, he's going to be playing against John Millman or Hubert Hercatch next. We've what else have we got? Oh, we've got Dominic Team who's who's playing again tomorrow. That'll be interesting. Um, yeah, he's playing Marco Giron, who qualified and then had to play three hours twenty six minutes today to beat Pablo Andujar. And uh, his reward is to play less than 24 hours later uh, against uh, Grand Slam champion. Yeah. Lucky Marcus Giron. Blimey. Um, Albert Ramos Vinolas has, has had a day off and, and he deserves it. He's going to be playing Taylor Fritz. The reason I brought him up is because he won the tournament in Estoril, um, beating Cameron Norrie. Mm. And that was in a, an absolute epic, wasn't it? And, I, I think that that will sting Norrie a little bit because he he won so many of those types of matches last week, Matt. I mean, he every time I turned on the TV, he was in the in the third hour of a match and uh, and winning them all. Um, but he but he he probably should have won that one in the end, shouldn't he? Yeah, I think so. He was three one up in the final set tiebreak. And then I think lost the last six points. I think he'll probably have some regrets about about that passage of play. Um, 
it's extremely windy conditions in that final. It was it was difficult to play well, but those are the conditions that Nuri, I think, thrives in. He 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 really backs himself when it's tight. As you said, he'd had so many tight matches, um, but Ramos Vinales knows his way around a clay court. I think that's his third title on clay. On clay. Cam Norris still looking for his first career title. Um, he, he's one of those tests you have to pass, Ramos Vinales. I think I think about him in the same way we've talked about an Andreas Seppi in the past. You, you really do have to beat him. You have to earn that victory against him. Um, and, and Norris came extremely close. He's having a fantastic season. I think only Rublev and Sitsipas have won more matches on the tour than than Cam Nori this season. It, it's incredible what he's doing. So many wins against players ranked higher than him. I think he's had ten wins against players ranked higher than than him this season. So he's he's absolutely on the right path. Where is, where is he in the race, Matt? Twenty. <laughs> uh, Oh, sorry. I assumed you had the race up in front of you because you were you were so quick with race news <laughs> earlier in the pod. <laughs> in Munich, we had a, a victory for Nicholas Basilashvili against uh, Jan Leonard Struff. Um, first, I didn't realise this. First career ATP final for Struff. He seems to be somebody who kind of delivers to what I would expect him to deliver all the time. And I probably would have thought an ATP 250 would have been part of that set of expectations, Catherine, um, well before time. But, you know, I quite like Struff. He, he, you know, he just keeps punching the clock. Mm. We'll call that the one that got away for Casper Rude. Yeah. Yeah. Quite right. Mm. Can't believe yeah. he didn't win that title, to be honest. That's poor. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, and in fact, none of our predictions fared well at all last week. So we'll move on from that. Semi-final isn't, it's not faring badly. It's just not bringing home the bacon. No, it's not bringing home. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the key with predictions now is that they need to still be in the, well, they need to be in the tournament when we record on a Thursday. They used mm. to need to be in before we sent the well, newsletter out. Well, that was a pointed, pointed remark. <laughs> Why is everybody looking at me and my Sebastian Corder? Mm. I feel like I feel like the key very much though is is bacon when you're when you're when you're so lacking in bacon. Yeah, you're adrift, Catherine. Let's be honest mm. at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Should we, should we get on to mascots? I'm on a vegan Catherine? diet. <laughs> let's get let's get on to mascots. Yes. Um, Molly, the ten year old yellow Labrador owned by Louise, who I'm gazing at pictures of at the moment, and Molly is a joy, Catherine. Mm. Well, yellow Labradors are my beloved Bella was a yellow Labrador, and Rosie is half lab- yellow Labrador. Mm. They are unfailingly magnificent. And Molly looks exactly that. Yes. Uh, So we'll stick that photo in the newsletter, which will be out in the next couple of days. Uh, So do sign up if you haven't already. Our um, uh, link to the newsletter, if you want to sign up, is in the show notes to this show. Um, And we would also like to say a big hello, in my case, to Rogue, who is uh, sponsoring me this year. Uh, Catherine's wonderful mascot is Zeus. Matt's is Scousel Mousel. Uh, Billy Jean, the dog, we've been having issues with over the last week. I say we. I've had nothing to do with it. Catherine has been trying to get Billy Jean, the dog, to eat something other than fillet steak. 
by the sounds of things. And uh, I mean, you know, I think maybe if you just started a bit lower, you might be better off by now. But she she's with my brother this week, and uh, she's running rings around him. Just put it that way. Yeah. It's not just me that's been made a mockery of by uh, by Billie Jean. Right. So, Billie Jean King, if you've got any words of advice or, you know, if you just want to give Billie Jean the dog a bit of a ticking off, that's fine. Uh, Chris Albert Lee is our executive producer, a top bloke, and in extra Chris Albert Lee news, hiking in northern Spain Ooh. at the moment, Matt. Well, we, we never have Chris Albert Lee news. <laughs> we have today. Yeah, he's been in touch. Fantastic. Let's have more updates. Uh, have we got some <laughs> shout-outs, Matt? Yes. Uh, Lara Burgess. All right, Lara. Oh, hello, Lara. Right, Lara Arua like Barena. Kn- yes. Lara Croft also. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yours was more Tennessee. Yes. We should have stuck with yours. Yeah. Tomb Raider, yeah. That's it. Matt. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Kristen Brackmeyer. Kristen Oh, okay. Brackmeyer. Like uh, Kristen Stewart. A fantastic mm-hmm. name, that is. Very uh, dramatic. Of Twilight, Twilight fame. Mm-hmm. Matt? Not Kristen Brackmeyer. Oh, uh, and uh, Kristen, thanks ever so much for your support. Yes, thank you, Kristen. And finally, Catherine Dina. Oh, come on. And uh, it's, it's an alternative Catherine spelling. Oh, <laughs> oh no no no! I I I retract that that sound I made. I'm embracing of all Catherine's. What 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 alternative spelling? There are some I'm more embracing of than others. Okay, uh, this one mm, this one is K A T H R Y N. Oh no no, that's that's fine. That's fine. It's a good one. She's in the family. Splendid. Oh, well, thank you so much, Hello, Catherine. Catherine, for your support of the Tennis Podcast. If you want to know why we do these shout-outs, some people some people don't understand why we do it or why we have mascots, <laughs> basically, at the start of the year. Some people just aren't li- listening at this stage of the show. Yeah, that's why we can say whatever we like right now. Um, but basically, at the end of every year, we crowdfund our next year so that we can justify being up at 12.22 in the middle of the night uh, when uh, we've got normal jobs tomorrow um and uh yes lots of people have uh have been very very generous and supported the show uh to a level known as shout out level and hence we do three of these every week uh, and it's it's much appreciated thank you all so much for your support uh catherine i think you better get to bed because you've got to go and present some more live tv tomorrow uh do have a good day i've got about three inches of makeup to chisel off first oh. but uh yes yeah <laughs> and Matt's got to edit the show, so uh, I'll speak to you in about two hours' time, Matt. Which will which will take uh, more time? It's a race, <laughs> indeed. Um, so I'll get updates from both of you on those two pursuits over the next hour, and <laughs> I'll speak to you, listeners, uh, on Thursday when we update you on what else is going on in lovely Madrid. Thanks ever so much for your company. Do tell your friends if you can think of anybody you think might like this show, uh, and we'll speak to you then. Then. 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.